Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Okay, today we're continuing our series in which we're taking live questions at the end of the message. So if you, uh, in any time during the message, want to either text a question or uh, email, you can sign on to the cafe web that doesn't need any kind of a sign-up code or anything. It's a free sign-on here. So if you've got a web-enabled device, you can text a question, email a question to us at any time during the message, and we will uh, take a few moments at the end of the message to deal with that. Today, <clears throat> as I was... Um, uh, preparing for this, I, I heard a story that reminded me of many I've heard in the past. And it was a story about a young lady who was a part of a uh, small group where she was considering faith in Jesus. It was all people who weren't sure about Jesus. And she came up after the, one particular session and she said to the person leading it, she said, I have a question that's going to determine whether I even stay in the group or whether I can continue to consider Jesus at all. And then she went on to say this. She said, I grew up in a Hindu country. I was, I myself am secular, but everyone I knew around me was Hindu. And my grandmother was a devoted Hindu and the most saintly person I ever met in my entire life. So, with obvious tension in her voice, she goes on and she says, If Jesus being the only way, as you're saying it's true from Christianity, if that's true, and that means my grandmother's going to hell, and I have to believe that and have to claim that, then I'm out of here. What's your answer? Today, as we continue our series, Relationship Above Differences, dealing with some of the most difficult questions that we have to face, we're going to explore that issue, that issue that strikes at the very heart of justice. It strikes at the very heart of a sense of fairness, reasonableness, and compassion. I mean, after all, how can it be compassionate? How can it be just, fair? How can it be loving for someone who is so saintly and devoted and raised in a culture that is infused with a belief system that is different or even contrary to Christianity to be held accountable and judged solely on their relationship with Jesus? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time thinking about a more painful question or a question that is a stronger objection to any religion, Christianity or any other religion that makes an exclusive claim. Can you? And yet, any student of the Christian Bible and the Christianity as a faith has to face the fact that Christianity does indeed make very exclusive claims. John 6, Jesus says about himself, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, Peter says this, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Christianity does indeed make this exclusive claim of salvation through Jesus Christ alone, and that we need to confess his name, confess meaning we declare ultimate allegiance 
to Him in order to be saved. And when we, when we face that, we can obviously see logically, emotively, that it's certainly easier in all the tension that creates in relationships to believe that there could be many paths to God, right? I mean, the many paths sounds very nice. It relieves a lot of that tension. And whenever I've heard somebody talk about a many paths way to God, I've almost always heard this story. And the story goes like this. There's this king in India. And he's riding his elephant uh, through the town one day. And his way gets blocked by six blind men. And the blind men come up to the elephant and the one touches the the leg and says, Oh, this is a tree trunk. And the other one touches touches the ear and says, Oh, this is a fan. And the other one touches the tail and says, Oh, this is a rope. And then another one touches the the, the derriere. And, well, that's... Each arguing over what indeed the elephant really was. And the moral of the story is that many, the point of it is many faiths all have a different true perspective, albeit an incomplete one, of God. So this is a way of supporting the many ways idea to God and eliminate the exclusive claims of religions like Christianity or Islam or Jewish, uh, the Jewish faith or the Mormon faith or the Jehovah Witness faith or many others. Now, on the surface, this seems like a really nice solution, doesn't it? seems like it takes all the tension out of the room, right? But Leslie Newbegin, a great theologian and a life, almost a lifelong missionary to India where this story originates from, says that the only way you can make the many ways claim from this story is for you to see yourself as the king. In other words, you are the only one who can see the truth. Everyone else is blind. And that puts you in the, in the role of you being the judge of who God is and who God isn't and the arbiter of all truth. And it's kind of egocentric and arrogant, don't you think, to actually put yourself in that role and claim, because I believe in many ways everybody else is blind and ignorant. Further, the reality is that if you really are a student of religions in general, every single religion on the planet makes an exclusive claim. Whether it's Christianity, whether it's Muslim, whether it's Jewish, whether it's universalist, whether it's secular humanist, every single faith system makes an exclusive claim as to what truth is. A very narrow claim. And honestly, unless we're honest about that, and we all put that on the table from wherever we're at, it becomes very hard to have any kind of a conversation that's not defensive. Now, logically... Just for me, from a pure standpoint of logic, I struggle with the many ways issue and view of life for two primary reasons. First of all, the concept of God presented in all the many different religions is so fundamentally different from one another, so opposite in some circumstances that in many instances, if not most instances, the only thing that you can harmonize between the different religions is their social morality has some commonalities in it. And as we talked about last week, and we'll give you a summary in a moment, if that's all that there is in common, it puts us immediately back in the box way of viewing religion and faith and life. And we talked about a different way to view that last week. And second, there's an assumption in the many ways to God. It's saying that God is not able to be clear in communicating who He really is. Each religion has a piece. And no one really knows for sure. 
And what that betrays is an idea of God where God is small, God is weak, God is incapable, and or also impersonal as a God. And I find that an untenable position to hold. The God who created all the universe, everything large, all the way down to the smallest of small things in, or in life, who created in each and every one of us common desires for relationship and worth and even morality, to think that that God would not be able to, even through imperfect humanity, reliably, accurately communicate who he, who he is so that we can relate to him and be confident that we're relating to the true God is just an untenable position for me. If God is big enough to create all that exists, then he's fully capable of giving us scriptures that are reliable to guide us in life and understanding who he is. So today we're going to put on the table this Christianity's exclusive claim, and we're going to examine it from a Christian theology and the tensions that it exists within it. So let me just give a little bit of a, a brief reminder of what last week was about, just in case you weren't here, so that maybe you'll be able to follow some of what we're doing a little bit later in the message better. If you missed last week in brief, what we talked about is God is a deeply personal God. And we talked about the classic Christian doctrines of who Christ is and justification by faith and how what that means in Christianity is that Jesus, through his work on the cross, his death and resurrection, has perfectly forgiven every sin you have ever committed, will commit in all of life for all of humanity. In fact, when you look at the text of the Bible, Jesus sets himself up as the only sin left of any eternal consequence is our relationship to him. There's no other sin of eternal consequence left on the face of the planet. It's only are you following him or not. And yet we talked about even when we understand that justification by faith, that forgiveness and the completeness of it, that we still tend to live our lives in the box all too often. We get trapped in either being in or out, either good enough or not good enough, either a good guy or a bad guy type of thinking. And we live our life of faith with a whole lot of guilt because we know we never are in the ivory tower. We know we never are perfect, and we're always trying to just get a little bit better. We're always trying to be just a little bit cleaner and a little bit more holy. And further, it even affects our relationships because the only way in a box world view, even though we think justification by faith is to live here and we still have to protect ourselves from forces that would cause us to not live here, from temptation and therefore people who would cause us to not live there. So we create by default this us and them attitude in our faith and our religion. Instead, we proposed a centered set way of thinking about faith. And that centered set way, in that orientation, Jesus is the center. You can see that on the screen. And our orientation and the whole point of life is our orientation towards him and the direction we're moving. Are we moving towards the light? Are we looking at the light? Or are we looking at the darkness and moving away from God? And part of our problem when we get back into the box, even in this perspective, is that we put ourselves back in the box and we think that the most spiritual, the most like Christ people are the most morally capable people who are closest to Jesus. And the, the reality, though, in a centered set way of thinking is that may not be true. 
The people who are morally most like Jesus may not actually be following Jesus. In fact, we oftentimes think the people the most like Jesus are the most spiritually mature. And the reality in a centered set view of life, in a view that actually allows for grace to really be the orienting factor in our lives, the grace of Jesus Christ, it means that we could be starting way off in the darkness and the person who more consistently turns towards Jesus, even if they never make it to the front row, could be more spiritually mature than the person who started in the front row and very rarely, if ever, turns towards God and turns toward Jesus. So that's the picture we talked about last week. If you want a more full picture of that, then I recommend you listen to the podcast uh, and how that all ties into biblical theology. Listen to that podcast. Now, within that concept, it's easy for us when we... Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about this centered set idea of life, and it's easy for people to think, well, that just, that just means that there's really... You know, there's no decision. It just has to do with what direction you're going. It removes this decision to follow Christ. And that's, that's, a, that's an argument against centered set that's based in somebody who's still in the box. Because in the box, when we think about that decision, we have very definite lines of demarcation as to what it means to be a Christian or not. And we even think about that in terms of true repentance. Every one of you probably has said this. You have definite lines of that. Have you ever said this? You've said, I will believe that they have repented or have apologized when they change. Have you ever said an apology is true only when it is accompanied by the person no longer doing what they were doing before? Do you hear in that how that betrays box thinking, performance-oriented thinking, rather than grace in those phrases? But the Bible says that all fall short. The Bible says no one can save themselves. Paul himself, this great leader of the church, while he's already a great leader in Romans 7, says, I still repeatedly do things that I wish I wouldn't, that are sin. I still continue to fall. If you can't repent, apologize, until you change behavior, then there is no hope for any of us. And most of what the New Testament says is null and void. Now, that's how that applies there, but we also live through boxes in the way we deal with culture and people coming to faith as well. So let's say, because we are, we're a New Albany Westerville church who is largely uh, white-collar and business owners, uh, and uh, let's say we were trying to reach a first-generation Somali in our neighborhood who isn't so much of a practicing Muslim, but they are very fully culturally Muslim. The reality is that our box, the way we think about our faith, often would make them feel like that they would be forced to change their social order, their dress, their family structure, their political affiliations and ideology, and their practice of morality before they could even consider becoming a Christian. Maybe it's easier to understand this way. Let's say you were raised Baptist and you were told not to dance or drink. And you've got a friend who was raised Irish Catholic but doesn't really practice any kind of faith anymore. That Irish Catholic is going to look at you and think, I can no longer dance jigs and I can't drink, drink green beer anymore if I want to become a Christian, right? I mean, that's the way we do it a lot of times. And it affects our youth as well. It affects the way we parent and it affects the, what we allow oftentimes 
in our kids' lives. You know, it's natural for us to have these boxes of friendship, just like we talked about last week. I'm an Ux fan, right? It's natural to have those boxes that we enjoy just as far as fun and relationship. And we have it with our kids, too. We have the, the cool kids. We have the popular kids. We have the athletic kids. We have the artsy kids. We have, And there's friendships and valid things that can happen within those boxes. And there's the goth kids. Well, maybe there's not so much goth anymore, but that's easy because I'm out of date and I can remember that, Right? But I can remember being in so many churches where I heard people say, isn't it so beautiful, this goth kid has now become a follower of Jesus. You know why they said that? It's because they were no longer wearing their black dress and their black eye, eye, eye stuff and their studs. We have these boxes around what determines who can be a follower of Christ and who can be in our group and who can be with us? And we so often allow stuff to happen. But the Christian doctrine, as I think more appropriately illustrated through centered set thinking than box thinking, says that actually a couple of people in the box aren't even followers of Jesus. So the reality is still the Bible demands we wrestle with this line of faith that we need to cross in order to follow Jesus. And it also would illustrate then that just because you are moving toward Jesus doesn't mean you're a follower. The person on the top with the long line isn't following Jesus. They're just kind of generally moving in that way. And the reality is there's a lot of people who move in the direction of Jesus because he's attractive. His ideas, his ideals, they're attractive. The morality he lives and the way he demonstrates relationship is attractive. Why wouldn't we love the golden rule as he, as he presents it in so many of the rest of his teachings? And why wouldn't we love who he is in the interaction with the woman caught in adultery and how gracious and beautiful that is for us to see or the woman at the well? We would all love those. So of, of, of course there's people who are attracted to that and want to move towards that. We love the healings. We even love the wise way that Jesus confronted the corrupt political and religious leaders of the day. There's a lot to love and want to pursue him. But the reality is, if you want to turn your attention to the screen, we'll animate this really quickly. Some who look like a follower of Jesus aren't following him at all. Others look like they're following, like they're generally headed in the right direction, but they've never made a decision to follow him. They're just like, they just like the ideas and ideals. Others follow for a long time before making a decision to follow Jesus while others make a decision and follow really quickly, long before they're out of darkness and long before they really have a really clear understanding of who Jesus really is in correct theology. And still others, they made a decision in the past to follow Jesus, and yet they've stagnated and they've stopped actively following Jesus. So... That's some nice theory that I think is really powerful, really true. I think it can orient our lives. But let's get to the fairness question. So as we deal with this idea of fairness, in addition to what we talked about earlier, that God is big and we can, and he, we can rely on him to make himself known reliably, and God is personal, let's wrestle specifically with Jesus as the only way of salvation. Let's look at Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What this is basically saying is that God is making himself known to every single person on planet Earth right now in a way that is real, even if, we don't, even if they don't completely understand everything, in a way that is completely real so that it removes any excuse and everyone is accountable. The Bible expands this idea. When it talks about God being notable, it talks in many different places about the scale of his creation and who and his acts in creation and the complexity and the order and the beauty of creation. It talks about God being personally known in everyone through a moral conscience, which explains the predominant moral similarities between the many different religions. That God is making himself known through a moral conscience. And it also teaches us that God, by His Spirit, is personally revealing Himself, personally pursuing and letting people know His presence through the way He interacts with people and societies in a way that removes the excuse of, I never had a chance to know the one true God. For me, even in my devotions over the last few months, looking at, I've been reading through the Old Testament prophets and kings, and it's just stuck out to me how many times in the text of the Bible it actually talks about God pursuing God's love, God's favor, God's blessing, God speaking to even the most wicked of leaders and people. He was revealing himself to them explicitly. The Bible also talks about this thing we'll call today proportional Accountability. Uh, accountability based upon the extent of what we know. Jesus actually is telling a story that illustrates this God's sense of fairness, and he, and he closes the story in kind of stark terms because it would very well relate to the people he's talking about, that, talking to at the moment in this context. And he says this, he says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. The one who knows will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. For to whom much is given, much will be required. Jesus illustrates this in other stories as well, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, if you're not familiar with it, is a story Jesus tells that talks about different levels of gifting and resource and ability from God, one talent, two talent, five talent people. And basically the, the moral of the story that Jesus is telling is that all God ever expects of us is to give what we have. In fact, more pointedly, the moral of the story is that God gives us everything, and he just asks us to give back everything that he's given us. It doesn't matter if you have know a lot or know a little. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or have a little. You give what you have to him. Now, so what does this mean about an individual and God being one way? Last week, we used an illustration we talked about our lives as being this pane of glass. And we talked about the fact that at creation, we are made perfect. There's no defect, nothing to mar our lives. But the Bible teaches that sin actually creates cracks or defects in our lives. It damages us. And, uh, and that's a nice illustration, but it's a little overly simplistic. 
So we're going to make it just a little bit more complicated today, but still keep it fairly simple. And the reality is that our lives are not just one simple pane of glass. We have different aspects to our lives, different areas of our lives. And so just for today's illustration, let's say that we have, we have an area that we'll call your, it's your humility and your openness to pursuing truth. We have another pain of your life that fits together to form who you are that is your theological understanding of who God is. And maybe we have another pain of your life that fits in there, which is your moral character and how that fits together. So let's just say that uh, morally you were raised in a place that was... um, Corrupt. Maybe you were raised overseas in a, in a country that was very oppressive and very corrupt and, and you received a lot of, you just don't trust relationships. You, you were used, you were abused, and in response to that, you ended up making choices uh, to survive that sometimes led to bribery, sometimes led to um, even lying, maybe even stealing, just in order to survive. Now, you've been damaged because of that, maybe more so than a lot of people, but probably less than some. Let's also say that you were raised in a Muslim culture, and all you ever knew your entire life were teachings on the radio, the TV, and from your Muslim teachers that Christianity was evil, it was the enemy. All Christians were the enemy. And all the people you knew around you also reinforced the idea that you should be afraid of anybody who's a Christian. Your theological understanding of God is extremely dark and corrupted. But let's say that uh, you were raised in a home where in spite of all that, your parents taught you that God really is real and God wants to be, God, God wants to be good in your life and he's worthy of giving everything for and pursuing. And so you pray. You pray regularly. And throughout your life, you've had encounters with something you would believe is God. You'll call it Allah because that's all you've ever known. But as you look at that, yeah, there's some trust issues you've got and some things you've got that are in the way. But on the whole, you've had encounters with God that you think are real, And when you compare them to what you're taught in your faith, they don't really always match up. So the question is, could this person be saved or not? In a strict, bounded set view of theology, the answer is absolutely not, for two reasons. First, they haven't declared specific allegiance to the name of Jesus, right? And there's essentially no understanding of salvation by faith. Their theology teaches them there is no salvation by faith. It is all works and all performance, and you earn everything through ultimate sacrifice, right? But when we look at the way Centered Set helped us define and understand justification by faith... In centered set, salvation is truly by grace. It's not earned. And it can be received wherever you are in life. That decision to cross the line of faith could happen when you are really close to the light 
or it could happen when you are really far out in the darkness and you still have a lot of misunderstanding about theology, about sin, about morality, about all of that stuff. It could happen theoretically way out in the darkness even before you know the name J-E-S-U-S. Because repentance is about relationship, not about the box. Not sure about that? Hebrews 11. God says, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets were saved by faith in the one true God because of a right-hearted relationship with God long before the name J-E-S-U-S was even known. It was about real relationship. So is it possible that there is a Muslim or there are Muslims or Hindus or animists who are indeed encountering the real one true God who have made a genuine heart commitment to follow that one real true God who they are encountering in relationship who are still in great darkness theologically? Over the years, uh, as I've read I've run across many stories uh, from Wycliffe uh, Bible translation stories to other stories about missionaries who went into cultures and told people the gospel and the people's response was overwhelming coming to faith and when they told the missionaries why they came to faith, they said, when you told us the name Jesus, you were telling us, our God was telling us, you were telling the name of the person we've been worshiping for many years already. And today I want to share one of those stories with you on video. It's a short clip. It's actually a documentary called Father of Lights. And the documentary is all about learning to hear God's voice and respond faithfully to him in ministry. And this particular clip, the background to it, is there's this guy named Ravi. And he's an Indian, he's an Indian minister. And his face is blurred out because he wanted it that way because of the areas he's in. He didn't want to have any chance of the spreading and him being recognized because of the intense persecution in the area he ministers. So that's the reason it's blurred out. Uh, the day that this video is taken, uh, God, they wake up, they wake up in the morning and they pray and they feel like God tells them to drive five hours down the road to this marketplace in front of this temple and that when they get there, they will find a white bearded man in orange saffron robes with a turban on and they are to talk to him. That's all they know. They get there, they spend a couple hours in the marketplace wondering where this guy is and all of a sudden he shows up. And they go up and talk to him. And they find out this guy is a Maharishi. He is a guru of gurus. He is the guy who is training all of the temple uh, priests in the area, in the region. And uh, they're surprised that he will actually talk to them. Because in this particular area, the rules are that if you try to talk to one of these guys about Christianity, if they're going to respond correctly, they should incite uh, a riot to persecute you for trying to talk to them about Christianity. But instead, this guy invites them to a quiet place on the temple grounds and reveals to them that a few days earlier he had had this dream, and in the dream he had seen Robbie's face, and that God told him that this man was coming to tell you about me. And here's where the clip picks up. The exciting thing about that, the follow-up story, is they followed up with him, and this man is now leading thousands to faith in Christ. Miracles are being performed. It's just an amazing background story to that. But I actually do have to take 
possible. I'm not saying I'm taking a shot. There's a part of that clip that I think might be box thinking. Certainly, this Maharishi made an explicit prayer, a beautiful prayer, to dedicate his life to Jesus there. But did you notice what the Maharishi said before that? Basically, to paraphrase, he basically said, you're telling me the name of the true God that I have been on this path following for a very long time. The same God who told me about you, you are telling me his name. He's saying that. And there's no doubt that this guy has been worshiping and encountering the real God through a corrupted view and a corrupted lens of a false God and a false theological system. But nonetheless, there's been real ongoing relationship for him for some time. So the question is, at what point did this man trust that real relationship with the real one true God? Maybe it was at this moment of praying this prayer to follow Jesus. But for that matter, it might have been some time before that, that he actually committed his heart to saying, I'm following you, the one I know. Now, does this minimize the intensity and the passion and the effort that we should have as followers of Jesus to be about the mission of evangelizing people and bring the good news to the whole earth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because it's so easy for all of us to be in darkness and live with this lack of clarity and not turn towards the light and not turn towards God because we don't understand who He is. We don't understand who we are. We don't understand the reliability of His forgiveness, of His love, of His pursuit, of His power for us. We tend to, do, we, we don't understand because just like we all live in the box, we're all tempted to go back in the box and turn away from God until we're good enough to turn towards Him. It's the same reason why we should have an urgency about reaching the whole earth with the good news. Am I preaching universalism? Absolutely not. In fact, if you've listened closely to in today's message, I've said that many people who call themselves Christians may not be because they just look morally more like Jesus, but they aren't turning their heart towards Him. They're not seeking to be led by Him on a regular basis. Just as there may be people who have a very corrupt theological system, a very corrupt idea of God, maybe not even know the name J-E-S-U-S, but they're having real relational encounters with the one true God and they have surrendered their heart to want to follow that even long before they've ever heard the written name or spoken name of Jesus. We love to live in boxes. They're nice, neat, they're clean. We love the rules because we want to know everything we need to do to be good enough. And we tend to resist relationship a lot of times because we prefer the rules. And yet the dynamic of relationship dictates that we don't always know our own heart. We don't always know other people's hearts. And there's a messiness sometimes to understanding that. Only God knows that. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible teaches that God makes himself known and is continually making himself known to all of humanity in such a way that regardless of how much we know, we are all accountable to that revelation of him. And the Bible also teaches that God is love 
And he passionately wants every single person to come into a saving relationship with him. And the Bible teaches that grace is real. Salvation is not contingent on moral performance or absolute correctness of theology or doctrine, but on an authentic heart relationship with the one true God who is revealed in Jesus. And we want everybody to know that he's been revealed in Jesus. So with that, I uh, hope you've been submitting some questions. Let me welcome Dr. Mary Lutz again. And I don't know if Jeremy is able to help uh, join us this service or not. If he is, he can come on up. He was not able to last time. Do we have some questions, Dusty? Jeremy was hiding back here, so I sent him your way. <laughs> here you go. Just to let you know, uh, if you have a question that didn't get answered in this service, uh, there's a good chance that it probably got answered in the last service. Um, so please make sure you check our podcast each week. Also, you could uh, continue to text questions or send them in via the web, 614-835-7857 or at fatq.gotoquest.org. Uh, first question is, if someone was saved and accepted Christ as a child but then turned away from the faith, are they still saved? Will they go to heaven? God only knows, God's the only one that knows their heart. Maybe, maybe not. It depends on, again, their heart's orientation towards Jesus. I, I would even flip that question a little bit because the question itself is kind of a box question. Um, in 1870, I think it was, the flashlight was invented by a Russian immigrant who later founded the Ever Ready Flashlight Company. And the whole point of a flashlight is to point toward an intended goal or destination. And that's our job as Christians, to point towards Jesus. And I would have to say, even going back to some of these illustrations of the, of the stuff, it's very possible. How many of you have been in church as a younger person and your faith was completely shaken because of the mm-hmm. sin of the church or the mm-hmm. sin of others? And you've walked away from church. Does that mean you've lost your salvation? Maybe not. Maybe your heart still is committed to following the one true God. Maybe you just are disillusioned with, with, um, with faith in general. And so that's a hard issue. I don't know if there's a real good answer to that. Hmm. All right. Unless Jeremy has it. Because Jeremy remembers everything. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> When the Bible says one day every tongue will confess that God is God, is that supposed to happen in this life? Do they get a chance to confess after this life? You're shaking your head. I'm going to let you answer that one I, I don't. Uh, I, I actually wrote a paper about this in seminary. And um, I, I don't want to go too deep into it. But this is, this. Uh, I didn't know about this until I was starting to study. But there is a belief in the postmortem uh, possibility of coming to faith, uh, uh, which most Orthodox evangelicals completely uh, disagree with that opportunity, as as do I. Um, but there are, there is some belief that because uh, every single one of us will kneel before the throne of God and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that in that moment uh, someone could then, of course, say yes to Jesus. Um, however. I believe that that's um, wishful thinking, maybe. Yeah. Again, I said it's that way. Again, you could go back to saying, so this Hindu priest or this Maharishi could have been way back there in the corner 
And if this guy had never come to him to tell the name of Jesus, but he had been having real encounters with the real true God, even though it was all corrupted through a false theological system, that he would get the chance to confess the name he had been following his whole life as a relationship at some point. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is that medical science now uh, understands that even, even death is a process. So can someone at a point when they are dying express allegiance to Jesus? Sure. Can I have a question? Oh, Ross, I have plenty of questions. <laughs> if we don't get to all the questions and you have one, an important one you feel like that is just leaving you full of angst that you need answered, again, I will try to stay down here after services to be available to talk any questions that don't get answered. Hmm. So, uh, this one says, could you talk about what the weak beating would look like? Is this something like purgatory? Um, I don't think you have to, to say that to purgatory. I think it's, uh, I think it's just Jesus' statement of, uh, of a fairness, that the, the, level of love, the level of revelation you have, you will be held accountable to. So if you don't have a lot, there's a lot more grace in that process. Um, but there still is accountability. And, uh, purgatory is, um, for me, a difficult theological bridge to make and believe in. I just, it's an interesting thought process. Okay. What happens with Muslims who have a relationship with God but reject Jesus? Only God knows whether their heart is really responding to him. The reality is, um, and maybe this is going to come up in another question, but the reality is that uh, the Bible believes, the the Christian worldview is that God exists and so do demonic spirits. So not every spiritual experience you have is God. It could be demonic. And I think the reality is we don't know how many of these... uh, how many Muslims, Hindus, or other people who are having spiritual experiences are actually experiencing the one true God or experiencing demonic. We do know if we trust scripture that God is pursuing them and they are experiencing him, but what is which? I don't know. So I don't know how you even answer that question other than to say, God, you know whether they're responding to you and they're just rejecting this name that's your name because of baggage, but they're really still responding to you relationally? I don't know. That's, that's something that God's going to have to answer for us. Okay. Unless Jeremy can. No, I tend, <laughs> I tend to stick in a box on that one. And so my, yeah. it's, it's really hard for me to, to break away from that. Uh, you know, but I, so I, I like your, I appreciate your answer. Um, it, it causes me to bend and flex a little bit more. That's good. Move on, Dusty. <laughs> yes, sir. In Jesus' story of proportional accountability, is that talking mm-hmm. about what it takes to be saved or about the punishment of those who are never saved? about the punishment of those who are never saved. I am totally spacing the entire context right now, so I'm not sure I can answer that. I think that some of the references to um, uh, maybe levels of sinfulness, um, and, and so 
I'm not going to answer this question specifically, but but I may provide a little context to it. Just, you know, that um, some sins are greater than others, and therefore, um, you know, does this refer to then um, those who are saved or those who are punishment for those who are never saved? Mary, do you have any kind of response? Yeah, a couple things. To whom much is given, much has been required. Ross talked about that. Um, I, I think it's important to remember when Jesus was on the earth, he appeared at a time when the, uh, some of the religious communities were being very exclusive. They excluded people with developmental disabilities or other kinds of handicaps. They were preparing for the coming of God, and they missed it. I think the challenge for the church today is to understand that our job, again, is to point towards the light but to be a place where people can belong before they believe. In my recollection of that passage, in my, my iPhone is too <laughs> slow of an iPhone, so I'm probably not going to get to it in time. My recollection of that passage is that I don't think Jesus is making that specific of a point for either one of those. Um, I think he's just telling a story about uh, judgment and accountability and uh, God gifting us. And if we believe that God is pursuing both the Christian and the unchristian alike, mm-hmm. and they're experiencing his invitation from a moral conscience and the invitation from the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't, that, that question doesn't even really matter who it's from. Uh, it applies to both. Yeah, it's one of those both and thing, not either or. Either or is in the box. Yeah. One more question, Dusty. One more, and it's an easy one. So the worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and make your way to the stage. Ross, is the movie right? Do all dogs go to heaven? Is that, is I'm going to let right? Pat DeVille answer that as he comes <laughs> to the stage. Because uh, <laughs> I'll bet that's from him. Uh, but uh, there, there were several questions uh, that we weren't able uh, to get to. So if you have any of those questions, I know Ross kind of uh, hangs around after the service. So feel free uh, to find him. But Ross, Jeremy, Mary, uh, do you have any closing thoughts for us before we go into worship? I have one. Um, I, I, if any of you guys are interested in, in uh, looking at some of the theological arguments from all different sides, I want to encourage you guys to pick up a book. It's called Across the Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, what it does is it takes a lot of the things that we've been talking about and and looks at these arguments from both sides and then it, it allows them to interact with one another. It's a very helpful book uh, in regards to forming a position uh, Etc. So um, I'm going to list this on the website this week, uh, so you can find it. It's in most of your bookstores, definitely on Amazon. Check it out; uh, it's a great resource. The early church grew daily. It says in the New Testament, those that were being saved. Well, the only way that can happen is if people that weren't yet in an active relationship with Jesus or had made that decision in their hearts towards God were there to begin with. Our opportunity is to interact with others in the body of Christ in such a way to deepen our relationship of who God made us to be and who God is, living increasingly in the abundant life. Kind of like Lazarus, Jesus brought him to life, and that was an amazing thing. But Jesus challenged everybody around him to unbind him and let him go. We have that responsibility with every person we meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm binding. And I think this is the beauty of this uh, theology that we've talked about today, even if some of the peripheral stuff that we talked about you may not agree with, is that if we trust God's fairness, 
And if we ultimately trust his love, that he desires truly to save everyone, and that his Holy Spirit is actively at work in everyone, seeking to draw everyone on the face of the planet toward him, then it frees us to approach those conversations with people who aren't yet believers differently. Mm -hmm. It frees us to simply look at them and go and listen to their story and not have to come first and foremost trying to convince and trying to persuade, but we can listen to the story and we can discover where God is already at work Mm -hmm. revealing himself and we can just say, that's the light, go that direction. That's the light. That's God. And we can put ourselves in this role of encouraging rather than arguing with people and put ourselves in relationship above differences in such more of a winsome way. So the question for all of you that I'd like to leave you with is who can you listen to this week and who can you encourage as to where God's already at work in their life who may not be believing yet, who may not have crossed that line of decision yet. And if you're here today and you are... A seeker, you're not convinced in your faith. Maybe you're not even convinced that God exists. Then I want to encourage you to start where you are. This is all about relationship. It's not about a box. So if you start from where you are, it's going to start by praying and saying, God, if you're real, would you show me to show yourself to me this week? Would you make yourself real to me? And if you're if you're convinced that God exists but you're not really sure it's Jesus, then be a little more specific and say, God. I believe you exist, and if you are Jesus, would you make that known to me as well this week? And uh, mm-hmm. I want to encourage you, if that's you, if you're still a seeker, that uh, next time we start a seek group, we should probably be right after the first of the year, just join us, because that's going to be a time where you'll learn about Jesus, and you'll learn to connect with God personally and discover whether he's really real in that process. Don't forget, you can text uh, your questions in to 614-835-7857, or you can log on with a tablet or your smartphone, fataq.gotoquest.org. And our first question is, if someone was saved and accepted Christ as a child, but then turned away from the faith, are they still saved? Will they still go to heaven? The once saved, always saved question. Yeah. You know, the challenge is, again, we focus on external behavior, but only God knows the heart. Yeah. That is a good answer, isn't it? Could it be that the child accepted Christ as a young child and then received received so much um, pain from well-meaning but in-the-box rigid people that they received so much scarring from the church that they walked away from, but yet they still believe in God. We don't know the heart. And uh, our official position on, if you want to know the official position on once saved, always saved, is that that, uh, we're not a once saved, always saved. There is a possibility that we could turn away, but I think it's really, 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 really difficult for us to escape God's grace and God's love. And if you're even worrying about it, and you probably haven't. Right? Yeah, that's like somebody that was concerned about whether they committed the unpardonable sin. Well, if that's your concern, then you haven't. So. Another one, Dusty? Yes. I was thought that when people who have spiritual encounters were having, uh, were having demonic encounters if they weren't Christian. Mm-hmm. How can you know if people's spiritual encounters are with God and not evil? 
and then a follow-up, how do we know that an evil encounter didn't happen in the video you showed? Yeah. Uh, and that is a reality. The Bible does teach that not only does God exist, but an evil demonic reality exists as well. And so every spiritual experience is not necessarily a godly spiritual experience. So it is very possible that people are having spiritual experiences in other religions that are demonically um, based. And yet, do we really trust that God is actively revealing himself to everyone? <laughs> Even if they're experiencing some demonic encounters and spiritual things, are they also experiencing him? Because if God is not revealing himself in a way that they, that they can experience him, then he's not fair, and he's not just. But the Bible teaches that he is. And so the reality is, we have to test stuff. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, like in the instance in the video, I think the test is proven by the fact that this man has continued to follow and leapfrog forward in his faith in Jesus and is bringing people to faith left and right and healings are happening and other gurus are coming to faith and entire temples are turning towards Jesus. And so there is an element of testing the fruit in that, uh, testing the spirit in that, and that's mm -hmm. something we have to trust God to help us with. Yeah, we're encouraged to test the spirits. I mean, it says that in the Bible. And, and a lot of times you'll have that sense internally that the spirit of God in you kind of gives you uh, a sense as to what's happening around you. Um, a lot of times culture is, is kind of like the instruments and dials in the cockpit of an airplane. And they can give you a sense of internal and external conditions, but they don't tell you what direction to fly. Part of the challenge of the church in contemporary American culture is being true theologically to what God has called us to be about, um, understanding that we need to adapt to the culture around us as we try and lift up the light of Jesus. So, yeah, and in, in, in particular in the video, if you watch the rest of the video, there's a little bit more information about his dream pointing him directly to this, and so. Uh, I forget what the scripture is. It's a scripture that basically says that any, 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 any spirit that confesses Jesus as Lord mm -hmm. cannot be a demonic spirit. No. And they're, they're pointing, this, this was specifically yep. pointing him to say, you're going to find out the name of the God of, 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 of me who you've been serving and following. There are certainly some things from God that evil cannot emulate because it's pure love, pure light. And we have time for one more. And, yep. uh, and don't forget that if you submitted a question that hasn't been answered or you would just like to hear uh, maybe some of the questions that, were, uh, that are going to be asked in the 11 o'clock service, you could subscribe to our podcast for that. And the last one is, how does this apply to children? I've heard people talk about an age of innocence. There's this in the Bible. Uh, do all children go to heaven before a certain age? You want to take that first one? We do. Go ahead, and I'll add. Um, there, there is a long-standing Christian tradition in theology about that. Uh, there are some obscure verses about uh, the children being sanctified through the parents that are in Corinthians, I think, somewhere in there. And there's some other theology surrounding that. So there is this idea of uh, an age of accountability that's been a very commonly accepted doctrine throughout Christianity. I think the larger issue for me 
is not whether somebody is in or out of the box or has already accepted or not, but it's my responsibility. And Jesus was always telling the disciples, what is that to you? You follow me. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church where people can belong before they believe, regardless of what age they are. And that's really important. And I think this idea of thinking, getting out of the box, to kind of close and head towards worship now. Um, thank you, Ray. Excuse me. Is all about belonging so you can believe. And is all about the fact that if we trust God's fairness, if we trust ultimately his love, that he desires to save everyone, and we trust that he's fair about that and working in that, and that his Holy Spirit is working to draw every single person around us that we run into to him, that there's an active part of the Holy Spirit in their life right now, today. It frees us to approach people about faith decisions completely different. It frees us to take time to not have to preach, but to listen to their story and to find out where God's at work and to just simply highlight that light and help them turn towards God more. It doesn't make us have to convince people. We get to be encouragers. We get to walk alongside. We get to be guides to point them to the light that we're also trying to look at. Um, So the question for you today is, who could you listen to this week and encourage this week in where God's at work in their life? And they may, may not be even recognizing that and bringing it to their attention. And second, if you're a seeker here today, you're not sure um, uh, about your faith, then uh, let me propose a couple ways for you to respond today. First, um, I want to encourage you to pray from wherever you are, which that means if you're not a believer, if you don't even, aren't even sure God exists, period, then your prayer starts something like this. God, if you exist, would you help me see where you're revealing yourself to me and to the people around me? Or maybe you've uh, been a follower, believe in God, but you're not sure about certain about Jesus. Then your then your prayer is something like, "Well, Jesus, can you show me how real you are this week?" Just start from wherever you are, and and maybe join a group. We're going to be trying again. We've got one going uh, right now, but we're going to try to start after the first year another seek group, and it's going to be a group designed for people who are unsure to come and encounter and learn to experience God in relationship. Uh, did you want to comment on something? Yeah, there's one quick thing. When Jesus approached the tomb of Lazarus, there was this sense of sacred silence that I think we can often encounter with one another in the body of Christ. Jesus brought Lazarus to life, gave him new life, like he gives all of us new life as we step into a relationship with him. But if you notice... Jesus said to the people around, unbind him and let him go. And that's really the role that we play in the lives of one another is allowing Jesus to speak through the body um, to point us to a deeper relationship with him, to point us to the ways that we're living in less than abundant life. Yeah. And if you want to learn how to do that more, join the Connections with God group on a monthly basis and just uh, learn how to hear God and learn how to express what he's speaking to you and what you're seeing him do in other people's lives. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, continue in worship. Lord, I ask that you would um, continue in each one of our lives to expose how we find ourselves in box thinking, and we find ourselves, therefore, trying to be good enough instead of just trusting and resting in your love. 
instead of just turning towards you and delighting in the fact that you've forgiven everything and that you are faithful and loving to pursue us, that you want us to know you more than we want you want to know you ourselves, and that you're that same way with our Hindu friends, with our secular humanist friends, with our Muslim friends, with our animist friends, with all of our friends. Lord, you're that same way. Help us to become really good at uh, reflecting your light, your encouragement, and of uh, helping people spot where you're at work in their lives. And Lord, would you grant us, grant us the joy of leading many people to your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.